Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's insider Adam Hogue at NBCSourceChicago.com presented by Nationwide Agent Jeff Vukovic. Get to enjoy Vuk as much as you do the jingle at JeffVuk.com because Nationwide is on your side. I like that you grab your mic while you're doing it. Well, like you're to. in a concert venue. Well, I wanted to... Uh, to grab my ear like uh, like one of the Bee Gees did. Or like We Are the World. We hope the Bears win with Trubisky. The, the, like the Farm Aid concert, right? To right field. Well struck. Carlson back at the wall. Bring him home. It's a two-run shot. Eloy Jimenez goes deep. With the jingle in your ears, it's a two-run home run. Jafuk.com is on your side. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel. You know, when you sing a little bit, like for a living, and you're surrounded by people who, who don't, you, you realize that there's not much difference between you and them. Like, I think Bruce Levine singing his JeffVook.com song would be a hell of a front man for Tributosaurus. Danny Parkins, man, that guy. We hope the Bears win with Trubisky. Uh, Parkins needs to be out front of a band doing his thing. And obviously, uh, Stoney and Bonetti should be the ones singing about um, windows, siding, and doors, and so many other things. Good morning, everybody. It's Hit and Run, the score's venerable baseball show. I'm Matt Spiegel. Blessed on a beautiful day to be living and working in a two-team town and getting the opportunity to talk baseball with you every Sunday morning. And I say that even when there are three losses to break down over a total of 24 innings. Let me start with this, by the way. And and it just as backdrop for everything, this is now the second doubleheader that White Sox fans have endured as you're 0-4 in those doubleheader games. The Cubs have a doubleheader tomorrow and one on Wednesday because the St. Louis Cardinals have 10 more doubleheaders to play. <laughs> they have 10 more doubleheaders to play as they try to squeeze in as many games as they can. I'm cool with the seven-inning doubleheaders. I'm cool with it. Guess what? I'm also cool with the 10th inning half-court baseball situation of throwing a guy at second base for each half inning and seeing what happens from there. We've seen a wide array of strategic decisions, a wide array of possibilities. We've seen a leadoff double that also gives a guy an RBI, as Lennon JD mentioned yesterday. We've seen a walk-off, leadoff, two-run homer in some situations. It's weird as hell. But I'm cool with it. What does this say about me? Maybe that my desperation for baseball is such that I'm willing to accept anything or that I'm just a positive guy, able to, to look at the situations and understand why it was happening. I don't know. Good vibes, babe. Or are they legitimately cool? Is it all right to see baseball develop and progress in this way? That, that's just kind of a backdrop for conversation along the way. But Lord knows we have specifics to get into for both teams and predominantly the White Sox who are... That was a brutal showing yesterday. Absolutely brutal. You can't be the team that looks unready to play, that is impatient, that is sloppy, when the opposition hasn't had a game in 17 days. 
when the Cardinals are the ones who drove to town in 41 rental cars, you guys can't be the ones that look like you're all playing for self and not as a team. You can't be that bunch. And that's what they were yesterday. At 10 and 11, now through 21 games, you are, God, uh, just in this little sample, what would be the right phrase for it? Oh, I know, you're mired in mediocrity. See, now, that's not fair to equate the entire organization to that famous Rick Hahn quote, which was the, uh, the obvious public uh, instigator for the change that took place. That's not fair, Spiegel. That's cheap. Okay. But, you know, in this particular season, this major league bunch, this group as assembled, partially because of a massive spate of injuries that continued unabated yesterday with terrible Laurie Garcia news that we'll talk about during the course of the show. But this major league group right now, looks mediocre, and it's really disappointing. They've got to step it up in a variety of ways. Yesterday was a really, really bad showing. Game one falls apart immediately. A four-run first against Lucas Giolito. Colton Wong with a leadoff eight-pitch walk. I want want you to keep that in your mind. Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals said um, after the game, after game two, he said, in fact, He said, I think Colton Wong's leadoff walk really gave us a gust in our sails. Remember, this is the first moment. This is their first at bat. This is their first moment of baseball activity in 17 days. More Tyler O'Neill. It gave us some confidence. Like, hey, we're competing out there. We're pros. Just because we were out for three weeks or so doesn't mean we're going to cave in. We're going to give it our all out there. We put a lot of team at bats together. Got some guys on. We're able to drive some in. Okay. Now, that's how they felt. It's also how they performed yesterday. And it is not how the White Sox performed. In that game one, so Colton Wong with the leadoff walk. Giolito hits a couple of batters. There's some shaky defense all game long yesterday. Fowler and then Andrew Kinzer with RBI singles. The inning ends on an out at the plate on another RBI single. It is a 34-pitch inning for Giolito. 34 pitches for your ace in the first inning of a doubleheader. And you give up four runs and you're in trouble. Fast forward to game two for the White Sox. Jake Woodford of the Cardinals is making his major league debut. A four-plus ERA in his minor league stint. You, the White Sox, have just gotten skunked in game one by a very, very good smart pitcher in Adam Wainwright. Gave up just three hits. So you come out against Jake Woodford in his MLB debut. Tim Anderson leading off the Energizer Bunny, baby. I love Tim Anderson. You know, my favorite Tim Anderson as a leadoff guy is the one who went 10 pitches against Matthew Boyd the other day in the day game and then homered. And oh, by the way, right after that, Eloy Jimenez homered on the first pitch. As Matthew Boyd was exhausted by a really good Tim Anderson at bat. More on that later on. But here's the thing. So Jake Woodford is making his MLB debut. Inning one, Tim Anderson, three pitches, ground out. Inning two, Jimenez, first pitch, ground out. James McCann, a second pitch, ground out. Inning one, by the way, 10 pitches, three ground outs for Jake Woodford in his MLB debut against the White Sox. 10 pitches. Inning two, the Jimenez and McCann ground outs over three pitches. Eight pitches total for Jake Woodford. In the second inning, inning three, Luis Robert, a second pitch home run. Tremendous player, wonderful skill set. As you know, that's him. You're not hating on a home run. Second pitch, though, that's him. That's what he does. By the way, he had a four-pitch walk yesterday at one point against Wainwright. He's had a few of them on the year, which is an odd statistical anomaly, as Jason Benetti uh, pointed out. Anyway, back to inning three of game two. Danny Mendick worked a count, folks. A six-pitch strikeout. That's the longest at-bat against Jake Woodford. Jake freaking Woodford. His MLB debut looks like this. Three innings, he faced 10 batters, 34 pitches. As many pitches as Giolito threw in the first inning of game one, 
That's what the White Sox offense allowed Jake Woodford to throw in three innings of his Major League debut in a second game after you were skunked with just three hits in game one. I'm going to stay on the specifics here for a moment. Inning four, highlighted by the Eloy Jimenez home run, best inning of the day for the White Sox. Oh, let's check it out. Let's see why. Genesis Cabrera is on the mound. I love so many of his albums, by the way. Even Abacab. Abacab gets a bad rap, in my opinion. I know people who loved Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and the Gabriel era of Genesis and even the post-Gabriel stuff like Trick of the Tail, which is brilliant. They were down on Abacab. Crank it, man. Abacab sounds good when you put that on now. It's a bad rap. Anyway, Genesis Cabrera's on the mound. A five-pitch strikeout for Moncada. A five-pitch walk for Grandal. Those are good numbers. A five-pitch at bat for Abreu. It's a flyout. Okay. And then Eloy Jimenez. A first-pitch two-run homer for Eloy Jimenez. When guys are working counts, when guys are going deep into counts, it is exhausting for the opposition. This is baseball 101. I wrote about this a lot in the early parts of this decade because when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer came here with the Cubs, they tried to build a team, build an organization that worked the opposition in terms of pitches per plate appearance as a trackable stat and just in terms of the ethereal effect, the somewhat abstract effect of tiring out the opposition, getting to the bullpen earlier, making a pitcher exhausted, so they then get impatient and throw a shaky, crap-ass first-pitch fastball that a guy like Elo Jimenez can destroy. That's their first, their best inning of the day yesterday for the White Sox. Overall on the season, the White Sox are 17th in pitches per plate appearance in all of MLB, bottom half. You know who number one is in pitches per plate appearance this year? Just take a wild guess, Sean Anderson, our producer back at the Shack. Take a wild guess who's number one in pitches per plate appearance this year. All right, wild guess. I wasn't prepped at all before the show. Uh, the right. Cubs. I'm going to say number the Cubs. Number one. Number one. This Cubs bunch, number one. The Yankees right behind them. Last year, the White Sox were 18th. The Cubs were 20th last year. Their approach sucked last year, did the Cubs, especially in the second half. We've talked a lot about it. Last week or the week before, we played those cuts from Joe Madden and Jed Hoyer from last September, disappointed in the approach, disappointed in the overall offense. Guess what year was the last time the Cubs were this good in pitches per plate appearance in the top five? Sean, again, unprepped. Guess what year was the last time the Cubs were this good in pitches per plate appearance? 2016. Nailed it. Fourth in MLB. They were number one in 2015. In their bonus year, their version of the White Sox 2020, you know why they were good at it? Because it was a vision. It was a clear organizational directive. Grind. The White Sox do not grind. It makes them look selfish. It hurts the lineup as a whole. And there are a couple of guys who are good at it. Yasmani Grandal works counts. Um, Encarnacion can work counts, has been patient in his career. There was a moment uh, from the scrimmage against the Cubs that I remember pointing out the next day when Encarnacion had an incredible at-bat against Hugh Darvish, long at-bat, ends up with a walk, spitting on an outside slider. You guys remember this? And then Eloy Jimenez comes up and hits a first-pitch home run against an impatient Hugh Darvish, trying to get ahead, trying not to live that way again. This is a an overall thought process that a good organization has to have, that a functioning lineup has to have. The White Sox do not have it. They don't make a lot of contact. This whole league doesn't make a lot of contact. White Sox are bottom five in contact, and that's bad. But oh, by the way, they don't see freaking pitches. They don't grind. They don't exhaust the opposition. Had a chance to talk to Ian Happ on Thursday on the score as I sat in for Dan Bernstein. And I want you to listen to Ian Happ talk about the collective offensive approach and think about both teams. Think about the entirety of this conversation. Think about Colton Wong's eight-pitch leadoff walk. Listen to Ian Happ talking about the extremely well-functioning Cubs offense. I know they had two, two losses in a row. But you've seen the year. You've been watching. I just gave you the numbers where they are. 
They're number one in pitches per plate appearance. You've seen what the offense has done. They have to get back to that. That's all. Uh, everybody knows what, what the situation is. Listen to Ian Happ on Thursday talking about the overall lineup's approach. This comes a day after uh, Chris Bryant referred to the lineup as damage, just straight damage, one through nine. And the numbers have been there, one through nine. This is Ian Happ on Thursday with me on the score talking about the offensive approach in the lineup. Yeah, I think it's a mentality. Um, I think it's a mentality that you're not going to give in. Um, you know, different guys have different ways of, of doing it physically, uh, whether it's choking up, whether it's shortening your stride or making your move a little smaller. Um, but it's really a mentality of, of grinding out at bats, uh, of, um, of fighting off pitches until you get something that you want to hit, uh, understanding what that guy might throw you in different situations, not being afraid to take a walk and pass it to the next guy. And that that's a really special part about our lineup is uh, one through nine, uh, anybody in our lineup can can hit a ball to the ballpark, can hit a double and score you from first. So for me, um, especially hitting in the nine hole uh, where I was um, with, with KB and Riz and, and Javi coming up, it's all about getting on base. Um, so if you get in a situation where you can grind out a pitcher and, and see six, seven, eight, nine pitches uh, and kind of wear him down a little bit for the guys behind you, uh, that's huge. It, it's a big part of our lineup. Schwab did it the other night in Cleveland, had a – like 12 or 13 pitch strikeout, and then we immediately put it right on the board. Um, and then, you know, he doesn't get any credit for that. He's, he, you know, he still gets a strikeout in, in the books, but we all know that that at bat is, is what got us a run. And you got to pick those guys up. You got to tell them, like, hey, that was your run. Like, you deserve that run. And I think those are the things that, that we're doing on a, on a daily basis that uh, keep everybody going, keep everybody involved. It's a beautiful moment that I'm glad we squeezed into that chunk which is Schwarber has a long at bat, doesn't do anything, but then they got to run. And everybody goes up to him and says, hey, man, that's your run. That's your run. That's what we're talking about. That is the selfless approach, handing it off to the next guy, that a good lineup, a well-functioning offense has to have every single day, every at bat, every pitch needs to be that kind of thought process. And the Sox just, they don't have some of those guys. There have been changes in player development that bode well for the hopeful future of that kind of mindset. But in terms of what they are on the bigs, in terms of where they are, they've got Tim Anderson is, is working to be more patient, but he is not inherently that guy. Eloy Jimenez is certainly not that guy. Luis Robert is absolutely not that guy. Yuan Moncada is. Follow that lead, people. Follow that lead. Moncada is the best player on that team. And offensively, um, probably the most complete offensive player on that team. Patient to a fault that he has now dialed back in and found the correct balance. Follow that guy's lead. Follow Grandal's lead. I, I, I regret the growing reality that the guy whose lead they are following is not someone who passes this kind of stuff onto them. And that's Ricky Renteria. I just, it, it, they are looking for leadership from the veterans and that's good. You must get it from the veterans, especially when it does not come actively and directly from the manager in terms of mindset. And it just, it doesn't feel like it's there. It doesn't from feel Ricky. like it's there, and it it doesn't feel like it's from Ricky. And if it's coming from anywhere, we saw it on Monday. It's coming Keuchel. from pitchers. Yeah, it's coming right. from Dallas Keuchel saying they need to be more professional in their at bats. Yes, and he could not be more correct. So it's coming from Keuchel. Abreu acknowledged it. Kind of, he didn't fully agree, but he he acknowledged it when he spoke on it through Billy Russo the other day. Um, Tim Anderson and um, and James McCann. Uh, gave gave credit to it, said it was cool, understood it. All right. Well, the offensive leaders on that team, the guys who need to get in their mindsets, I mean, Joe Madden was a hitting guy to the core, a hitting instructor in the minor leagues, had done everything, but he was an offensive guy, all about approach, all about going oppo. Javi Baez could use another few moments with uh, Joe Madden right now, by the way. Javi Baez is a mess and needs to get back in touch with opposite field among other things. David Ross 
is all about that mindset. Not a great hitter, skill set-wise, but he grinded. And he's been on a ton of teams that grind. He knows that that's what good teams do. So we've seen managers that get that across. Ricky's not getting that across. I don't know how much he's pushing it. Sure doesn't seem like it comes up a lot. Doesn't really fit with the way that he's talked about things before. It's not happening from him. These guys need to grow together. And and to become the best offense you can, it's not going to be a lot of second-pitch homers and first-pitch homers and third-pitch groundouts. Grind, people. You must grind. And Ricky Renteria has exposed... There's a lot of problems with Ricky. The lineups, as often discussed, some of the pitching decisions, as often discussed, some of the bunting moments in previous years, as often discussed. There is absolutely no reason to pitch to Paul Goldschmidt yesterday with a base open. That is the best offensive player on the Cardinals. That is, I, I know he had a bad year last year, but let, let the next guy hurt you. There's absolutely no reason to pitch to Goldschmidt there. And he hurt you. It seems like once a series, twice a series, you see strategic moments and you're like, man, Ricky, what's, why, why? And uh, look, Ozzy wants that job. I don't think Ozzy's the right guy for that job. But this is a year in which you can learn and you can find out whether Ricky is the right guy for that job. Because all bets are off. All caveats are gone for the White Sox. You should be winning. You should not be 10 and 11. I know they've been ravaged by injuries, and there's all of that to discuss, and we will. But this is not what the White Sox should be right now. And this offense should be better than what it is right now. Phone lines are open for you to call and text at 312-644-6767. Dial it up and get involved. Lots of room for your phone calls and conversation today on both sides of town. Cubs have lost two in a row. Good news is Tyler Chatwood apparently is going to pitch one of the two games of the doubleheader tomorrow. Uh, The Cubs will need to get some length out of John Lester today with a doubleheader coming tomorrow and another one coming on Wednesday. Who's the, is the Tuesday pitcher Darvish? I think so. They need to think about it like that. Need length out of Lester today and Darvish Tuesday as you tussle your way through doubleheaders tomorrow and Wednesday. A lot to discuss on both sides of town. Several national things to discuss as well. 312-644-6767. Some very cool happenings going on in the today with the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. We'll discuss that later on. Got a few different chunks of audio to play for you. A historic night on Thursday for uh, an MVP caliber player, one of the best in the game that brought to mind statistically a Cubs great from years before and a broadcasting mandate that we must discuss as well. Guests coming up on the show are plentiful. Mark Gonzalez, who covers the Cubs for the Chicago Tribune, will join us at 9.40. Ryan McGuffey of NBC Sports Chicago and the Sox Talk podcast will join us at 10.40. Tony Gwynn Jr. of Radio.com. Yeah, it's Tony Gwynn Jr. will join us uh, with a look at West Coast baseball and some other stuff at 11 o'clock. And our man Chris Kampka at 11.40. The Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago joins us then. We're here until about 12.15 today. Cubs pregame is after us, and then the Cubs game after that. So Zach Zaidman will take you at 12.15. In the meantime, it's hit and run. Your phone calls, your texts, your tweets, all of it. Not just welcome, but elemental to the very completion of the broadcast. Dial it up and get involved with me, Matt Spiegel, on 670 The Score. Start your day the Mully and Hall way. I'll have a words with three, please. No sugar. Chicago guys who've covered Chicago teams through some of the most historic sports moments in our lifetime. Keep the great work up. Mully and Hall, the voice of Chicago sports. Listen every morning, Monday through Friday, 5 to 9. Only on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Chicago Sports Station. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Tim a drive to left field. He waited him out and bring him home. one nothing Sox. Tim Anderson, a long, fruitful first at bat. Definitely want to start the party. Um, you know, I've seen everything he had, so that gave opportunity for, you know, every guy behind me to see, you know, every pitch. 
you know, just stay, stay locked in. And when, when giving in, you know, he was defeated. So he had no other choice but to come to me. Um, and, you know, I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it. I let him know, too. I let him know. Eloy Jimenez rocks this ball to right field, and it is gone! Back to back in the first inning. You didn't even take a swig of your drink yet, and it's two zip. Man, that's well done by Sean Anderson, our producer, back at the score here on 670. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I'm Matt Spiegel, and I am broadcasting to you live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We've got baseball, and baseball is fun, but it is also frustrating when it is played poorly. Yesterday, the White Sox played very, very poorly, and we spent a lot of time in segment number one talking about how they do not grind at bats. They do not have long, arduous at bats for the opposition, and how that is an inherently selfish thing. It is a selfish place to come from. And the effect that it has on the rest of the lineup is a massive negative. It is. And, and it's, it's somewhat counterintuitive. But it is just the way it is, people. That if you're going for self, you are damaging the rest of the people in your lineup. And you've got to think about the next guy and be ready to hand it off to the next guy. And then maybe you'll get a pitch you can do something with later on in the bat, and that'd be great. You will have done the grinding work yourself and reaped the benefits of it yourself. Good for you. Maybe in a best of both worlds, you get what you just heard from Sean there. You get a terrific at bat from Tim, which sets up Matthew Boyd to be in trouble. And Anderson talks about it, feels good. And then the very next guy is Eloy, and he homers after that. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. And that is how you text as well. This texter, Ozzy Guillen was the antithesis of a grinder. He made me a lot of money. I had a standing bet with whomever I was attending that he would swing at the very first pitch. Made me a lot of money. That's Manhattan Tom. It's among the reasons I, I don't think Ozzy's the right fit, no matter how much he wants the job or how much the, the earth seems ready for him to take a Billy Martin turn and, and get back into that role. No, not, not the right guy. Because as an organization, it, it, it should be a mandate from the top, but you also want to sign good players and let them be themselves. So I get it. It's hard. This texture, this is the team that the White Sox front office has built. It's a team of young, free swingers without much plate discipline. I've never believed players can significantly change who they are as a hitter. It's not impossible, but it's not likely. It's easier to balance the lineup by bringing in hitters who already have that approach and hoping some of that discipline rubs off. And you're correct. Great pitchers love facing free swinging lineups like the White Sox, to eat them up. I think we're seeing that Ricky Renteria is a nice guy, but not a difference maker as a manager. I predict he'll be gone after this season. I think that's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Yeah, this is, this is the, the, the young core that they built. Aside from Yoan Moncada, that is, that is a guy who you want towards the top of your lineup. 
and you want as a young guy who does know how to grind. I think some people can learn it. Tim Anderson can learn it and has shown an ability to learn it a little bit. I mean, you're not going to turn Javier Baez into Anthony Rizzo. And you're not going to turn Tim Anderson into Yasmani Grandal. But you can find a balance there. And TA's gotta gotta do better than a three-pitch at bat against a guy making his big league debut in game two of a doubleheader in which you were skunked in the very first game and only got three hits. And then you got three more. Texture says, didn't the Cubs' patience at the plate originate from Theo Epstein? Why can't the same thing occur from the White Sox management and manager? They're professionals. They can do it. Perhaps not every player is capable. Yeah, it's organizational mandate. Organizational mandate is is absolutely correct. Kevin from Bolingbrook says, Duke is my number one Genesis album. (laughs) Duke? Really? No, it's probably seven or eight for me. Truth be told, I love Trick of the Tale. Uh, I could listen to Entangled and Ripples just over and over and over again. And I might do that as soon as the show is over. Guys are getting to me on Twitter at MattSpiegel670. Cubs, good offense, obviously, this season. But how about those three to five hitters this weekend? Two for 26 and 16 Ks. Those bases loaded approaches on Friday were last year Cubs efforts. Baez and Schwarber trying to hit a 10-run grand slam. Not a good approach from a lot of guys in that lineup over the last couple games. Absolutely correct. Can improve. Has been very, very good all season long. And will improve. I'm betting as soon as today, and certainly with the uh, Cardinals series that begins tomorrow. There's a lot of things not to freak out about, in my opinion, from these Cubs losses. Uh, Friday, I mean, Alec Mills was really good. And then Christian Yelich found some bubble gum up in the tunnel and said, you know what, instead of thinking about my horse bleep at bats, I'm just going to chew some gum and have some fun. And he said, you know what, I'm going up here against Mills in the sixth inning. After the Cubs, by the way, had a really good inning where nine guys came to the plate against Brandon Woodruff and they scored three runs and sent Brandon Woodruff out of the game. And Yelich comes up and he says to himself, you know what, I think I'm going to swing here. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to swing because I haven't really been swinging enough. I'm going to swing. And he gets a first pitch change up that does nothing from Alec Mills and bombs it out of the ballpark. That's a three-run homer. And there's your ball game pretty much at four to three because the Cubs can't do anything after that. And then yesterday... Just not enough, not enough offense in a weird bullpen game uh, for the Cubs that they had to do because Tyler Chatwood's injury uh, extended for a couple of days. Chatwood's supposed to be back, be one of the two starters tomorrow. Interesting stuff from Craig Kimbrell on Friday. If you guys didn't see, if you've been busy or had not realized what had gone on, Craig Kimbrell had his best outing of the year. He struck out a couple of guys. He walked one guy. But know this, that his four-seam fastball was where it needs to be, at the top of the zone with some really good movement up there. And he threw knuckle curves through his breaking pitch for strikes. Also, people swung at it. Some, sometimes they were looking strikes. Sometimes they were swinging strikes. His third pitch on Friday was a knuckle curve at the bottom of the zone that Avisel Garcia fouled off after two fastball strikes. And then pitch number four, another fastball strike at 98 up towards the top. Good night, everybody. Later on against Justin Smoke, Kimbrell threw a couple knuckle curves. Threw two of them for strikes. One was looking, one was swinging. He is not the closer once again. I do not believe that he's a closer once again. If they have a closing situation today, I hope to see Rowan Wick. But if Craig Kimbrell can be his best two-pitch self, because I've, I've pretty much given up the ghost on the changeup. It's just, <laughs> he's not going to go down that road. No matter what you see around the league from a guy like Kenley Jansen, who used to be a one-pitch pitcher, lost velocity, lost effectiveness of the cut fastball, and is now a three-pitch pitcher with a sinker and a slider. 
that he throws at a, a about 83. 83. You know, so it kind of feels like a curve. But either way, Kenley Jansen's a three-pitch guy. Nah, Kimball's staying committed to being a two-pitch guy. Okay, so be the very best two-pitch guy you can be. What does that mean? It means get your mechanical issues under control. It means keep your fastball up in the zone. No cookies. And keep your knuckle curve down in the zone. And not necessarily even in the dirt. Not, not even in the dirt. Just lower part of the strike zone would be fine, like it was on Friday night. So anyway, Kimbrel looked really good. And we'll see what happens if a situation arises where, uh, where, where a closer is needed today and moving forward. I assume it's going to be Wick. But if things go well against the Cardinals and you've got all these doubleheaders and there's certain moments where you need a guy, is Craig Kimbrell back to being an even or a head guy? That's the way that Joe Madden used to call him. I don't know. Shouldn't be yet. Shouldn't be. But maybe soon, maybe even this week, because Friday looked good and you want to get him confident. What's amazing is I, I think that's the first game that Kimbrell has been in that the Cubs have lost, right? Can you check on that for me, Sean? Because I believe in Craig Kimbrell's appearances, even though they've been bad, Cubs have won. I'm looking at it right here. All right, no, they lost the game in Kansas City, but that was they were already getting blown out. That was the 13-2 game when Chatwood got his butt handed to him. And Kimbrel came in and gave up, uh, uh, faced six guys, gave up a couple hits. And then this one on, on Friday in a game they were already losing. And Kimbrel came in, struck out two, walked one, and they got the loss. But before that, his three other really bad outings were all in wins. So they have survived this situation so far. It's pretty amazing. And we'll see if he's going to be back to an even or a head guy. There was a moment on Friday night when you saw the bullpen in action and the Cubs were down a run and Jeremy Jeffress and Craig Kimbrell were working out side by side. And we're so used to seeing two guys um, warming up side by side in the late innings. And you know full well, one of them is usually the established and known and public closer. And the other guy is not. And you're like, okay, if they take the lead, it'll be the closer. And if they don't take the lead, it'll be this guy. So what was it the other night? Kimbrell came in and they were still trailing. So I have to assume that the other night it was Jeffress to be the closer, if need be, and Kimbrell to be the guy if they're not even or ahead. And that's what it was. So I think he's still in that spot. And that's the right thing. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Let's talk about other Cubs issues with our friend Mark Gonzalez of the Chicago Tribune. We'll do that next. It is hit and run. Open for your phone calls and texts all morning long at 312-644-6767. Matt Spiegel here with you on 670 The Score. Blackhawks lose. They fall in game three to the Golden Knights of round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're now down three games to none. Keep it here on the score as we recap the loss, analyze what went wrong, and get you ready for a win or go home game four. Right here on Sports Radio 670 The Score, radio.com sports station. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. And the one-two by Claudio. Swing and a miss, and the ball game is over. Claudio strikes out Bodie, and the ball game has come to an end. In ten innings, Milwaukee beats the Cubs by a score of six to five. That's the end of the game, as you heard it right here on 670. The score. Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Let's talk some Cubs with our friend Mark Gonzalez of the Chicago Tribune, who I've not spoken to, I don't think, on the air once all year long. That is a wrong that I will correct right now. Right now, Gonzo. Good morning, man. How are you? How you been? Uh, I've, I've been better, but I will say this. I'm, I'm going to stay on your good side because uh, your dissertation of the White Sox uh, – uh, made me think. Okay, what have, what bad things have I done to Matt Spiegel? But I got to say, your 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 assessment was spot on. Uh, well, you know, it's like you gotta you gotta call it what you see. It that offense should be so much better, and it's not. I mean, you've been around the game for a long time. Before his years in Chicago, Gonzo covered some great teams in Baltimore, some great teams in San Francisco. <laughs> the I, I mean, the kind of organizational approach. I know Earl Weaver was a genius 
at, at pitching, he and Ray Miller and what they did in Baltimore. But I got to look back. Did his teams grind like crazy and have long at-bats and pitches per plate appearance in some of the way that we've seen the Theo teams do in Boston and the Cubs teams do here? Because it's such a sensible uh, approach that the White Sox don't have that the Cubs right now do and did in 2016 and 2015 as well. Actually, I covered the great teams in Arizona, you know, turn of the century. I didn't work in Baltimore, but I always admired oh, Weaver's, Weaver's style of play and just how he, he used his, his roster to his advantage, you know, getting 37 home runs in left field out of guys like Gary Renneke, John Lowenstein, and, and uh, I believe Benny Ayala. So, um, why, why did I put Baltimore on you, Gonzo? You know what? I think I was just looking at a Ken Rosenthal piece on the trade deadline, and he's Baltimore. So I mixed up. And and you, usually you throw Bobby Gritch at me or Rich Dower in some kind of references when we text. So Richie Dower for sure. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, yeah, yes. But go ahead. Back to the point of a grinding offense and the effectiveness of that in baseball. You know, for, you want to put the pitcher in the stretch. You want to make him feel uncomfortable. You get a guy on base, the pitcher's going to think, do I want to throw a curve and take the risk of, of bouncing it? You know, we, they don't run anymore like they used to, but um, so you don't have to worry about the base runner trying to steal, except in, in rare situations. But, um, you know, you bounce that pitch, guys at second runners in scoring position, or you, you're forced to throw that fastball, guys sitting dead red. It just makes guys feel uncomfortable when you – when you're working deep counts, and then with this team, the Cubs, I mean, passing the baton, I've seen a lot of guys in the past that not normally would take walks are taking their walks and trusting that next guy, and it's paid off. I mean, look at what they've done, uh, runners in scoring position, not as a whole, but when they've really needed to take advantage of those situations. Ian Happ comes to mind, David Bodie as well. It's been the bottom of the order. It's been very impressive with the exception of the last two days. Yeah, so what's gone on the last two days? Are, are these, and for me anyway, it's been kind of, I find it easy to sort of chalk it up and say, ah, it's baseball. I've seen some ground balls with eyes. We've seen some, some moments where the approach was right, but the, the, uh, the, the outcome was not in terms of at-bats with guys in scoring position. What, what have been the issues these last two days, and how easy has it been for you to rationalize it and say they're still going well? Um, well, first of all, they, they've lost two one-run games, so you know the sky's not yeah. falling. And, and you know, Council I think did a masterful job uh, yesterday of managing his pitching staff, sticking with Hauser, even when it looked like he was going to get knocked out. And then uh, Suter comes in and does a fantastic job, and then he was able to mix and match at the end. You know, you can get the results out of Caniable, but Claudio came in. He didn't have to use Hader, so that's hmm. that's a real notch in his belt. Uh, getting back to the Cubs, I think they might have gotten too wrapped up in going for that knockout punch early against Hauser, and he really settled in and did a terrific job. So um, kind of got to give credit to, to, to Hauser there, but I think there were some times where they were losing that approach, and, and that that's, that can be understood. I mean, they've been pretty good up to this point. I look at the Cleveland series and how they really jacked up Carrasco's count uh, early and, and finally got through to him and, and the rest of their pitchers. So I think the last couple of days, especially uh, yesterday, they just made the pitcher too comfortable in the middle innings. Hmm. Yeah, you're right about Council. He's so good, and it's not always the same way every time. He's really, he's really paying attention and managing each specific situation with, uh, with his very well-informed gut. He goes out there and talks to Hauser and basically lit him up. Um, during a conversation at the mound, even with the mask on, you could see the body language that Hauser had been showing and then the body language from Council. And you don't see that an awful lot. Said, hey, man, come on, need, need lane from you. Meanwhile, he's not afraid to take out the ace, Brandon Woodruff, when he can't even get through the fifth and does that well the other night, bringing in Freddie Peralta to take over the middle inning. Council, Council seems to me to be about as good as it gets right now in terms of managing a pitching staff creatively and and sort of individually from situation to situation. You agree? Yeah, and I, I really hate the way they've, they've used Corbin Burns over the last two years, but you can't knock the, the results, of a big picture overall, what they've done the last few years. Just mixing and matching, you know, they get caught up in the option games, reducing guys' service time, send them out for a while, bring them back up. But, you know... At the end of the day, you know, they're right there winning games. You know, last year, you know, nobody talks about 
how far they came back last year without Yelich, and, and they made the playoffs. So they, they, they came within, what, uh, four outs of, of going to the, the division series at an unfortunate play in right field go against them, against the Nationals. But um, their, their pitching staff really finds a way to get the outs that Council looks for. It's not pretty, but at the, at the end of the day, they're right there. Hmm. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Kimbrell in terms of how he looked on Friday and what the role is uh, as it stands right now? I thought it was very encouraging that he got their hitters to chase his curve. I think that's step one. Um, the second step, and I think it's another encouraging spot, is his velocity went up a tick or two. I saw some 98s, so that was encouraging. And now, now three, I think he's just got to repeat it again, and then we can think about, you know, is he ready to – get back in that closer role, but um, there were certain encouraging steps, but certainly you can't fall in love the first time. You got to see it over and over before you feel better. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Gonzo, have you guys talked to the ballpark about uh, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak and what they did? To me, it's like of everything that we've heard. And sometimes if you're in the media and you're around, you're hearing a little more rumblings than even come out there. But in terms of what the Marlins might have done, those players, what the Cardinals players might have done, what other players might have done, to go out and party and lie to your teammates, especially if you're Clevenger, to, to in a team meeting, lie about it, and then get on the plane and expose your high-risk pitcher, Carlos Carrasco, your high-risk manager, Terry Francona. That's about as brutal uh, of a of an act as a teammate can do, and they're they're correctly sent down to Lake County to their affiliate, and they're going to be there for what eight ten days. I mean, they have to be uh, by by rule eight eight to ten days. What have you What have you guys th- talked about and thought about in terms of what the Indians did? Uh, the vibe I got, I was in Cleveland for those two games. The vibe I got the second day was that this is pretty much uh, probably going to be the end for Clevenger's stay. Uh, in Cleveland that um, there's just been too many issues, you know, off the field with him. And, and this was probably the last straw um, getting back to their time in Lake County. Um, I was reading a story which says uh, their service time could be really manipulated against them to where it, this, because this could really cost it because we're talking about prorated service time here. And, you know, a few days becomes a week and it, it adds up to the point where, um, these guys could, could lose a, a full year of service time or in the case of police act, he's not going to be arbitration eligible for a little bit longer now. So um, this is very costly, but at the same time, I mean, this, this pandemic's bigger than baseball. I don't think these guys realize it and they're going to pay a price for it. I think rightfully so. Yeah. Clevenger is about 27 days short of reaching four years of big league service time. And that would keep him on track to be a free agent after the 2022 season. If he doesn't, if he doesn't get those 27 days this year, then he's gonna he might lose a year of free agency out of this. And they're probably not gonna be afraid to have that kind of effect on him. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, and then the other thing too is it works well for the Indians and teams that want to acquire these guys because they're gonna be under control a little bit longer. So it works out yeah. for everybody but Clevenger and Plesac. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it really does. Um, all right, Ed, Ed, your impressions of David Ross so far and the way that he talks about things and the way that he talks to his players about things. Um, I, I knew what he would bring from an intensity perspective, what he would bring from the overall vibe, but what have your thoughts been on him publicly, Gonzo? Uh, uh, ferociously protective of his players. Um, you don't see any kernels and negativity. Um, he doesn't go down that road at all. Even acknowledge, you know, that hobbies oh, for his last 16, he'll spin it by saying he's hitting the ball hard and all that. Uh, uh, pitching wise, he's had no, no real excuse to knock these guys. Um, and maybe the first week of the season with a bullpen, but they've turned it around to their credit since then. So he's, you know, he could throw that. See, I told you, uh, uh, said in your face, but he hasn't. He's just, uh, been firm in his beliefs of, of his players. So um, from, from the public standpoint, I think um, he's been pretty good. Um, I will say that he got a little touchy the other day when uh, Sahadov and I asked some consecutive uh, questions in general about handling of the bullpen and the closer role specifically uh, and where you 
where you get the outs and all that. He was a little defensive there. So um, hmm. I'm going to keep an eye on that and see how that plays out if there's some speed bumps there. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, has, there haven't been a lot of things to get touchy about. How was he in dealing with the Josh Fegley pinch hitting uh, situation? Because that was that 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 was an interesting choice. I, I get it, and we could talk about why it was him instead of Almora or right-handed Caratini or that kind of thing. So I understand the thought process, but how was he in dealing with that? Because that is prime second guess material again. Yeah, he he maps things out. Maybe sometimes it doesn't come out as clear at first, but as he explains things more uh, expansively, you can understand his side side of it. You might not agree with it, but um, he eventually expresses how how he came about that decision and, and looks prepared. Hmm. Well, what what are you missing most of all about the usual level of access and interaction, Gonzo, in terms of doing your job and sharing what you learn with um, with the readers? Um, what are you missing the most out, out of this kind of situation? Oh, by far the interaction, just looking for that nugget that makes a story carry out further a theme or, or just something a player might tell me that I can use down the road. Uh, if a big series is coming up, you know, I, I, last year I had a hard time getting a hold of Tommy Edmond uh, to talk about how he helped Nico Horner prepare uh, last year. But I was able to talk to the, the, their, their college coach I've known for, for 30 years at Stanford. Hmm. But, you know, I, I, this would have been a nice time to talk to Edmond about Horner's maturation and all that. Those little things that I miss, just the little, the little kernels of information that you can expand on down the road. Yeah, those those kind of those pre-existing relationships that can then be discussed and you and you and you further the storylines and and catch up on stuff. No, I hear you, man. That's um, yeah, I call it moving moving the chains. <laughs> I, I, I like it. Um, uh, so today, what what are the Cubs players and the managers and the coaches and the umpires all going to be wearing today for the 100th anniversary? of the Negro Leagues. It's a patch. It's going to be a special logo on there, right? Yeah, it's, it's really terrific that even though we're in a truncated season, we're still you know, honoring uh, the history of the game and especially uh, the Negro Leagues and Bob Kendrick's done a terrific job. And, you know, unfortunately, I didn't go to Kansas City this year, but I'm about due for a visit to the museum. It's, I've been there twice, but I haven't been there in, in over 10 years. And they really do a, a super job of honoring honoring the past uh, uh, of those players in the Negro League. And unfortunately, many didn't make it to the major, but were certainly talented enough. And I think it's super that Major League Baseball is finally embracing all this. Gonzo, a pleasure, man. Nice to talk to you. Be well, all right? You too. Take care. You got it. It's Mark Gonzalez of Chicago Tribune. Let's come back and talk a little bit more about that. Cubs and White Sox connections uh, to to the Negro Leagues um, celebrating the 100th anniversary, honoring the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. We'll do that next. Ryan McGuffey on the White Sox later on in the next hour at 11 o'clock. Tony Gwynn Jr. from Radio.com as well. Keep it here. It's Hit and Run on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.